Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Black Panther. Uh, Moon Knight. Jessica Jones. Blade. Captain America. Killmonger. Wolverine. Spider-Man. Ultron. Iron Fist. Ghost Rider. Hulk. Loki. Black Bolt. Captain Marvel. Luke Cage. Daredevil. Spider-Woman. Silver Surfer. Cyclops. Quake. The Beast. Iceman, Doctor Strange, The Thing, Katie Pride, The Invisible Woman, Nick Fury, Venom, Deadpool, Storm, Iron Man, Professor X, Thanos, Thor, Jean Grey, Punisher, Ant-Man, Star-Lord, Magneto. This is either the greatest sermon you guys have ever... <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, finally, we've moved on from Luke to... Uh, to Marvel, some of you are like, stop it, you geek. To be honest, I don't really know half of those characters. They are Marvel characters. There is a, a, I've tried to research, I, I wish I could tell you how many Marvel characters there are. Maybe there's someone in this room who could give me the figure. I can't find a website that gives a definitive answer to how many Marvel characters there are, but there is one who I am convinced Jesus met. Now you're like, you are a loser and you've lost your mind. When I say he met one, there is one person in the Bible, in the Gospels, whom it says Jesus marveled at. And it's, guys, come on. Come on now. That was terrible, wasn't it? The crowbar, the crowbar of destiny. He is, you'll find him in Luke chapter 7. He's called the Centurion. He's by name, known by no other name. We don't get to know his first name or his last name. He just is the Centurion. Let me read it to you. I'm so embarrassed, guys. Gosh, why did I do that? On the, I sat there thinking, don't do it. And then I did it. And then you all went, oh. No, it won't work, Lauren. <laughs> Luke chapter 7 from verse 1. After he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion who had a servant who was sick to the point of death, who he highly valued, uh, who was highly valued by him. Uh, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent, him, uh, uh, he, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went to them, uh, sorry, went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume you would come to uh, you would come. Uh, that you would come but say the word and let my uh, and let my servant be healed for I am a man under authority with soldiers under me I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it when Jesus heard these things he marveled at him and turned (laughs) to the crowd that followed him and said I tell you Not even in Israel have I found such faith. 
when he heard these things, he marveled at him. Jesus was amazed at somebody. Jesus was awestruck. Jesus was in wonder. Jesus was astonished, gobsmacked. Jesus marvels. I don't know if you ever do this, but when you're reading through the scriptures, you come across a passage of scripture that suddenly like triggers worship in your heart. Now this was one of them for me. He marveled. I have a Jesus. I have a Lord who marvels. I think it's absolutely marvellous. I love the fact that Jesus is so human in nature. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a man that laughs and a man that cries. And he's a man that marvels. Even though he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of all things, he marvels. He's amazed by stuff. And I I'm kind of think, when I was reading through it, well, surely he, he knows everything. You know, there's other passages of scriptures in the Gospels that talks about Jesus knowing that what was in their heart, knowing what was on their mind. Surely he knows all things. Nothing should surprise him. Yet he marvels. We have a God who marvels. And that's what we're going to look at today. That would be a great song, by the way, that maybe you guys in the worship group could work on. The God who marvels. Maybe not. <laughs> who is this guy? Who is this centurion? You know what? He's considered an, an, an enemy. Start there. He's a Roman. He's part of the occupying force. Just remember the context. Israel is not owned by the Jews. It's owned by the Romans who took them over. And he works for them. He's the local representative of the enslaving superpower that is Rome. He is the law enforcement. He is the authority. Bear that in mind. He is the authority. He is the establishment. Now, he's probably been given Capernaum, this town that Jesus has entered. He's probably been given it as, as his patch to oversee. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't marvel over a Jewish superhero. It doesn't say anywhere in the scripture that Jesus found the greatest of all Jews and was overwhelmed and astonished by him. Jesus marvels over a bad guy. Marvels over his enemies. Think about what he's just been teaching us on the, on the plane outside Capernaum. He's done some wonderful teaching that even talks about how we love our enemies. And here is Jesus marveling, marveling at something uh, within one of his enemies. The upside down kingdom has a king who marvels at his enemies. If, if, well let me tell you what was special about him. See the centurion's job was to be a law enforcer, to, to hold society together, to protect the Roman empire in his patch, to keep the people civil, to st squash any uprising. And uh, there's so much written about centurions, so much that will tell you about their job and their role. Uh, there's many different ranks of centurion, from like the lowest grade that would just have 100 people to those who had many different platoons that they would oversee. We don't know where this centurion fits. But what was definitely clear was each centurion had 100 men that were devoted to them. That's why they were called centurions. They had 100 men that were their men. Almost from the point of being appointed a leader, they had this band of men that would follow them to death. That 100 men were made up of 80 soldiers and 20, 20 servants. 
That's where the term 80-20 comes from, within church context. There's 20 people that do all the hard work and 80 that sit around and don't really do much. (laughs) This context, this story revolves around one of the 20 servants. Jesus has just finished that awesome sermon on the mount. You know where he talked about blessed are the poor. Love your enemies. Do not judge. And then he's walked towards Capernaum. He's not walked on his own, although it doesn't tell us. You can imagine that everybody who heard the teachings of Jesus began to walk with him. I love the idea that there's this crowd coming. And so the centurion will have been made known, uh, will have been told by one of his soldiers or servants for sure, you, you need to know there's a crowd coming towards the town. He would have been alerted. There is a mass, a mob of people making their way to Capernaum. And he would have been saying, who is it? Who's the leader? And maybe they would have begun to say, it's this guy, Jesus. Do you remember the guy that used to be here for a while? See, earlier in Luke, I don't know if you remember some of those early stories, much of those are based in Capernaum. It's almost like Jesus is home throughout his ministry. Capernaum, not Galilee. Capernaum is the place where he reigns. And so the centurion has got a sick servant, sick to the point of death. That means he's beyond help. Maybe they've tried all the different medical treatment that they needed to try, but he is going to die unless somebody helps. And this centurion hears that Jesus is coming and he believes he's the guy. He believes he's the guy that could heal him. See, Jesus has done so many incredible miracles. Remember the first one where he casts out a demon from a demon-possessed man. And then he goes on to heal uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then when people began to hear that Jesus was healing, they all queued up. It said all the sick came. And starting at, at sundown, Jesus began to heal all the people. And it took him all night long so that when the sun rose, he then went up the hill to pray. So Jesus is known within Capernaum that when he begins to do his thing, people get healed. And so the centurion knows all about Jesus. And so he'll be super excited that Jesus is on the scene. And so he says to some of the leaders, the Jewish leaders, you know, he knows he's not worthy to have Jesus come to his house. He knows he's a Roman that plays no part in the Jewish society. He has no right to ask for a rabbi to come to his house. In fact, he would know that he would be considered dirty, that a rabbi could never enter his house. He's a Gentile. He will not, Jesus would never, should never approach his house. But he says to some of the Jewish leaders, could you just talk to your guy? Could you just talk to Jesus? Could you just ask him to come visit just briefly and do his thing. And so off the leader scurry to Jesus, probably barging through a crowd to get to their man, you know, squashing kids on the way just so they can get to a bit of Jesus time. And they explain the situation to Jesus. They tell Jesus what an amazing guy he is, hoping to persuade Jesus to come and help. And they beg and they plead and they express how worthy and wonderful this guy is. But I'm not sure the kingdom of God really works like this. I'm not sure Jesus is going to pander to them. However great they tell him that the centurion is, I'm not sure that's the reason why Jesus began the journey 
to his house. But it's fair to say this guy is awesome. Like if you read what he's like, he's, he is actually a bit of a dude. There's so much to respect. Like he's a really good boss. He's got some servants and one of them's sick and he really cares about him. Now, I've been reading a little bit about what happens to Jewish servants. You know, they're considered to be disposable. They're, they're more like slaves than servants. And if they break down like your dishwasher, you shove them out in your yard or you send them off somewhere to the scrap heap. And that is what happens to slaves back in the day. You'd shove them out of your house and you wouldn't give them food or water so they would die. And then you'd get a new one. But this is a good guy. He actually cares for his servant. And so he begins to think about how he can help them. You know, this is a great guy who is a Roman, but yet loves the Jewish nation. He's supposed to be someone who really wants to suppress the Jewish nation, keep him contained, make him shut up. But actually, he says, the people say that he loves the Jewish nation. In fact, he went on to build them a synagogue. Now, I'm told in Capernaum, if you get in all the rubble, by the way, it's completely flattened now, Capernaum. It says there's no brick on top of another in Capernaum. But if you look within the ruins, you'll find a Jewish synagogue with Roman design. This is actual fact. Within Capernaum, there is a synagogue built by the hands of a Roman. And it's this guy's synagogue. So he's built a worshipping place, a place for the Jews that he's trying to suppress, but he's actually given them freedom to do their thing and worship their God and encourage them and help them to celebrate. He is a good guy. He's used his resources to bless the Jews. And so as, as, a, as Jesus gets closer, though, this is what's amazing, because he's an incredibly humble guy. You know, as Jesus gets closer, and maybe the word goes out, he's just around the corner. The centurion bottles it. I love it. He just, he can't quite hap, like hack what's going to happen. He's going to, oh my goodness, he's going to come to my house. You know, what am I going to do with this guy? He's just going to, is he going to come in? Where do I stand? What do I do? And he says, or he says to one of his mates, just go tell him he doesn't need to come anymore. Tell him I don't need him anymore. In fact, all he needs to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. Lord, sorry to bother you. Send the message. Sorry to bother you. You don't need to come after all. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He is a quality guy. But you know what? It's not those lists, that list of great things that Jesus says he marvels at. It's not that list of different attributes or his character that Jesus is impressed with. It's this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowds that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So what did Jesus hear? Let me just remind you. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume uh, to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I am not worthy, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. You don't have to be present. Your authority is enough. You have the power to heal. You don't have to come inside. You don't have to see my servant. You don't have to touch my servant. So great is your authority that you just have to say the word 
and that will do it. Your word is enough. Your word has power. He says, I know what authority is like. I'm a man under authority. I'm in a ranking system and I've got people below me who I have authority over. I say go and they go. I say come and they come. I know what authority is like and I see in you, Jesus, that you are a man of authority. Authority over sickness. Authority over life and death. And he knows where the authority comes from. He calls him Lord. This isn't just a kind thing to say to someone. This is just not a mark of respect. This is greater than that. It's identifying him as a man who has power. Recognising him as a man of authority. What incredible faith. That this guy, a dirty Gentile, an oppressor, a man who represents those who are killing the nation. But yet he's a man who spots the true nature of who Jesus is. And Jesus responds, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Such incredible faith. Jesus is saying, out of all the hundreds of thousands of people who live in Israel, I haven't yet found anyone with faith like this. You know who that's really hard for? The disciples who have been wandering around with Jesus. Even you guys, even you guys, this guy's faith is on a different level. And Jesus marvels at that faith. You don't need to come. You don't need to touch. You don't need to do anything. Just say the word and he will be healed. Do you see why this is great news for us though? Do you see why this is important for the people in this day and age, in this room right now? Because we can have the same faith as the centurion. See, we're 2,000 years away from the Jesus that walked in Capernaum. We're 3,200 miles away from Capernaum. Yes, I did use Google. <laughs> We're miles from all that. But yet we can have the same faith that says Jesus has power and authority. That Jesus and his word can change my situation, can change my household, can change my neighborhood, can change my community, can change my city, can change this nation. I believe that Jesus has power, that his words bring life, that his words can change someone who was dead and can make them alive. And maybe I don't see him with my eyes and maybe I can't invite him to my house, but I can believe on his word knowing that he has power and authority and that his words can change things. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who prays, just say the word. I'm going to pray it more often this year. Lord, just say the word. You know what? That's what Jesus is doing in heaven right now. He sits next to his father and he just says words. Jesus, Lord, man of authority, just say the word. Say the word, Jesus. And you can change death to life. You can bring healing to our world and to our bodies just say the word Jesus you have the authority and you have the the power and you know what I love is to imagine that we could be a people with whom Jesus marvels 
I want to be a person with whom Jesus marveled. Not so I can have a badge that says I'm a Marvel superhero. I don't care for the badge. I just want to please my Lord. I want to be a, a person of such faith that Jesus, like, they are really going for it. They take me seriously. They're people who believe in the things that I say. I remember Andy preaching on this from Mark chapter 6, verse 6. There's only one other time that Jesus talks about being marvel, when he marvels. The only other mention of this is when he refers to his own people and he marveled at their lack of faith. We have a choice. We're either a people who will, Jesus will look at and say, wow, they take my word seriously. They believe I have power. They believe I have authority. And when I speak, things change. Or we can be a people who do not recognize the power and the authority of Jesus. Jesus is in heaven and he's fully alive. And he's still wearing the skin that he took on at birth that we celebrated just a few weeks ago. Jesus will never leave his skin, but Jesus will never die. He's alive. And he can still speak. And his words have great power, even though he's in heaven. And he isn't going to pop round your house later on. But you speak his name. You trust in his character. You believe in his authority. And change will come. We need to be a people of faith. We need to apply this to us in our daily life. We need to apply this to the way in which we work as the message trust. We need to be known as the people of great faith who do great things for God because we believe in his power and his authority. I don't believe in your great skill. However gifted you are, however good you are at your job, I don't believe that's going to change a nation. But I believe when we collectively begin to call on the name of Jesus Christ and his power, we will see change come to our nation. The words of Christ have power. Let's be a people who say, Lord, just say the word. Lord, just say the word. Let's say it together. Lord, just say the word. Now think about your life. Think about what's going on. You know, Andy said, you know, we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship even in the face of some difficulty. Let's think about those difficulties for a minute. Do you believe that Christ just saying the word could bring healing? bring healing to brokenness, bring healing to sickness. I am no prosperity gospel preacher. I hope you realise that about me. But I have faith in the, in the name and the character and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ that when we call on his name and ask for his help, he is able to do as we wish. Let's pray. So Lord, we say together, just say the word. Say the word, Lord, and heal our nation. Say the word, Lord, and heal the brokenness of those around us. Bring life to our damaged and brokenness. Lord, we think about those around us, God, who are so desperate for help. We say, say the word, Lord, bring healing. Lord, we say that you are the name above all names. You're the one with all power and authority. 
And we want to be people of great faith for whom you marvel. Help us to please you, Lord, with the way in which we trust and call upon your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 